There's a time and a place and a reason and a season. And I think right now the aftermath of cancel culture is what I'm more concerned about. We have created this culture within our generation and other generations as well to not speak out and share mm -hmm. our true opinions because we're so worried that someone is going to shut us down, reject us, cancel us. And in order to make any steps forward as a society and actually address these issues, it has to start with a conversation. If we can't even get there, if we can't even get to that table where we're going to sit down and talk, I feel like cancel culture really presents itself as a band-aid solution. Welcome back to the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. Today's guest is Sophie Barron. Sophie is literally the human version of sunshine. And I mean that in the best way possible. She is so sweet. Um, so down to earth and she is the founder of The Conversationalist and we talk a lot more about it in the episode but essentially it's a platform to empower Gen Z voices. I really enjoyed this conversation because it really felt like an actual conversation because I know with some interviews it's definitely more one-sided and maybe I'm the one asking uh, most of the questions but Sophie definitely asks me questions and we talk about like a range of different topics and it honestly just feels like two friends even though we just met just like hanging out and chatting about some topics that we're passionate about like cancel culture um, our generation gen z's and what we're all about um, the importance of speaking out and then also versus active listening we also talk about imposter syndrome as we both experience it on the daily but yeah sophie's platform's amazing the app that they recently launched is called geneva and it's kind of like like a slack chat room where you can talk to other gen z's and there's like specific little rooms about each topics you want to talk about like self-promo um politics fashion music and then you can kind of just meet new people that are around your age to talk about these topics you can do it by chat you can do video chat um, it's a really great platform so nonetheless let's get into it and i really hope you enjoy this episode I'm here with Sophie Barron. She is the founder of The Conversationalist, the go-to destination to amplify Gen Z voices, to empower young people everywhere to have conversations that matter. Growing up in Wichita, Kansas, as the only Jewish student in her grade, it was no easy feat, so she made it her mission to elevate youth voices, especially those who are marginalized. The Conversationalist community has now over 12,000 young people that can be found on their community app, Geneva, across their social platforms and featured in their weekly digital panels. Um, Sophie was recently named 25 under 25 by Social Entrepreneurs Magazine. Sophie, I'm a huge fan of you and what you've done, and I really admire the work that you're doing, so thank you so much for coming on. Savannah, thank you for having me. You embody what it means to be a conversationalist. So just an honor to be on your podcast. Awesome. Um, so I kind of want to get straight into it. And I want to talk a little bit about your childhood growing up in Kansas, because I'm from Canada. I have no idea what it's like. And I'm curious to know how your transition was from Kansas to the University of Pennsylvania and kind of finding yourself there in university. It was a bit of a rocky road, let me tell you. Uh, it's interesting now with the pandemic being back home and experiencing a little bit of it all over again. But growing up in Kansas was humbling, but also really difficult. I, like you said in that beautiful intro, thank you. I was the only Jewish kid pretty much in my entire community, especially in my grade in my K through 12 school. And I think for most of my life, I just felt misunderstood. I so wanted to belong and conform, but no matter how hard I tried, I was always the odd one out. 
And I think that sense of judgment led to a sense of shame, which from an early age made me feel like I didn't have a voice. And so instead of talking about the things that mattered to me and putting myself out there, I, I felt like I wasn't able to unless someone granted me that permission. So growing up in Kansas definitely taught me a lot about myself. And I think that's why I was so ready to leave the Midwest bubble to go to college. So as soon as I got to Penn, I, for the first time, felt like I belonged, not only for the incredible diversity on campus from all walks of life, but in particular, the Jewish community. For the first time, I was surrounded by other young people who I felt looked like me and thought like me and could relate on a level that I didn't have growing up. Um, so before I knew it, I was in all the Jewish clubs on campus getting super involved, but I had this aha moment after my first semester where I realized that it wasn't just me who was doing this. Every single person on campus was gathering together with groups of like-minded individuals. And I started to recognize that this was an echo chamber culture. You know, we as human beings flock together with people who are like us. And I think for the first time I had really taken for granted what I had growing up in Kansas with you know, people from all walks of life. And I didn't like feeling so comfortable. And I felt like there was something wrong with that. So I wanted to change it. So it's a little bit about my journey that led me on this path. Um, but it was definitely interesting growing up in the Midwest. And it taught me a lot about who I am today. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. Because I know most people because you know, it's, it's easy to be around people that you already know, it's very comfortable. So it's interesting that you realize like, I don't want it to be like this because, you know, human instinct, you want to be, you want to flock with people that, you know, you don't want to change because it's scary. Like the unknown is absolutely terrifying. So why, why do you, is that why you think you started table talk? And um, why do you think it, you have such a different mindset than most people? Yeah, I, I love what you said, Savannah. I think there was something in that moment where I was walking through campus, it was called Locust Walk with everyone walking past when I realized what is the point of going to college and experiencing the world around you if you're only seeing it through the eyes of people who think like you? Mm -hmm. And I think that led me on a path of finally feeling like I had the agency to do something about it. I was finally outside of that toxic high school environment where I felt shut down for wanting to have a voice and finally felt like I could do something about the culture around me. And so I think that agency outside of my, my home base really allowed me to do something and take action. And so decided to start a club um, inspired by my friend Ami who had started Table Talk at Emory. And it was finally the first time where I felt like I could do something and make an impact. So what started as a club with some friends getting together in a room trying to diagnose this issue of this culture on campus where people didn't want to interact and slowly started scaling. Um, I started talking to friends at other schools and realized, okay, it's not just me. People around me are experiencing the same issue just within their own echo chambers and their own silos. So it was super eye-opening to kind of realize this issue through my own experiences and realizing more and more how important it was to have something on campus to bring people together outside of the classroom. So Table Talk began to expand. I feel so lucky in having worked with student leaders across different college and high school campuses, turned it into a nonprofit. And before I knew it, it was at 80 schools. So wow. it was eye-opening. It was a lot of fun, a lot of work, um, mm -hmm. but was really the, the seed that I feel was planted in, in my entrepreneurial journey to help bring people together across differences and have important conversations. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And before we get into the conversation, I kind of want to talk about, you know, characteristics of our generation. So generation Zers and feel free to add some, but the ones that I know of are that, you know, we're constantly hungrier for knowledge because we've grown with technology and social media. We feel a huge sense of responsibility to solve the world's greatest problems. But then there's this weird dynamic of, um, you know, we're very connected, but also disconnected because of social media and, um, we're more likely to be vocal about mental health struggles, which is great, but then there's also this form of like isolation. So I'm curious to know like why you think we're failing or we were failing to have these meaningful conversations if we're so if we're so now vocal about mental health. Like what's the dynamic there? I mean, you already said it. I feel like you yeah. hit all the bases, Savannah. I mean, it's the ultimate dichotomy right now yeah. for Gen Z. We are the loneliest generation and we're also the most tech savvy interconnected generation yes. and we're also most likely to be vocal about our mental health struggles so mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting juxtaposition i think the characteristics of our generation in a way allow us to face the problems that we see ahead i think it's interesting that you brought up this responsibility that we feel to solve the world's problems because because that leads to the overwhelm You know, it's like this push and pull of wanting to make a difference and use our voices and change the world while also feeling this immense responsibility to go out there and change. So it's interesting. I don't have the perfect answer, but I think what I've observed about Gen Z is remarkable. I think if any generation is equipped to solve the issues that we see ahead of us, it's us. We have this hunger. We have this passion. And for the first time, we have this passion to change the society we see around us with others who might not think like us. And I think because Generation Z is the most diverse generation to date, we value diversity in a way that other generations haven't before that will allow us to not only bring people together and break open those echo chambers, but will allow us to solve these problems with diverse thinkers. And I think our generation is taking it one step at a time, maybe too quickly sometimes with social media, but I really believe that by the time we're in these older ages where we can hold official positions, we're going to be well-equipped to tackle everything we see around us. Yeah, totally. And I'm I'm curious to know in your journey, did you struggle opening up about, um, you know, having meaningful conversations, mental health, or was it the difficulty of finding other people to also have those meaningful conversations? A hundred percent. I struggled. And These were actually really interesting insights that came out of my research as to why we're struggling to have these conversations. But myself, personally, I feel like what I'm creating now is a manifestation of all the things I struggled with. Mm -hmm. Growing up in in Wichita, not feeling like I could even talk about my identity, my religion, my background with others was the first piece of it. I didn't feel like I could talk about the things that mattered most to me. I think as I got to college, I first really started understanding what mental health meant growing up. We didn't talk about these things. A lot of these topics are swept under the rug. And until you see it for yourself and it happens in an environment that's close to you, you can understand it in a different light. So I personally struggled a lot to open up about these topics. But the more that I experienced things throughout my life that allowed me to open up, I started to understand the value of conversations and how important it is to have them. But I think we all reach that little mini awakening at different milestones within our journeys. And so what I'm trying to do now is, you know, get get the younger generations to get there before I did. 
you know, realize that they have a voice earlier on, realize that it's so important to talk about what we're going through, whether it be mental health, discrimination, anything in between. And it's something I wish that I had known earlier, and now I'm trying to pay that forward. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And and I know sometimes with conversations, it's not always the talking bit and opening up that people struggle with, but also the listening and being like a good active listener. Because there's one thing of just, you know, sometimes people will listen to something goes in one ear, goes out the other, but it's not like truly active listening. So how do you think, do you have any advice for people, you know, because there's always advice on maybe better public speaking and vocalizing your emotions, but how to be a good listener? Do you have any advice for that? That is such... A good question. And Savannah, honestly, you are an incredible active listener. I feel like <laughs> even right now in this conversation, the fact that you are, are able to digest what I'm saying without hustling forward to the next point is case in point in my mind, the, the makes of an incredible listener. If I were giving advice to any person out there, I think there are a few ingredients, but if, if we're listening in a scenario with the wrong intentions, I think we have to reset. In my mind, if we can listen with the intention of learning, growing, understanding someone's experiences better, that's the makes of a good, that's not correct grammar. Those are the <laughs> makings of a great listener. And I think sometimes where we get it wrong is that we're sitting here in a conversation, either wondering when we're gonna speak next, preparing our next point, and attempting to bring someone over to our side. And this goes back to the nature of conversation too. I think if we can really listen first and listen with that intention of better understanding someone and fostering and elevating empathy for that individual, rather than trying to change their mind or bring them over to your point of view, that's where listening can make a real impact. I'd love to know your thoughts. What do you think are, are some of those elements that make a really fantastic listener? I just want to pop in and say, if you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Instagram at wellnowatpodcast and let me know what you thought of this episode. Now let's get back into it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with, with everything that you said. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, with, with school and everything, like we're taught, you know, how to give good presentations or... I know that I, I learned a lot, like my active listening skills, I learned a lot like on the job, like in the program that I was in, we had like co-ops or internships that they're called in the States, um, where you get to like work while you're in school. And I think for me, when I was going into some of these companies, they were bigger companies, I was at the bottom of the barrel, I was an intern. And I often asked um, to some of my managers, hey, can I join in in some of these meetings and just kind of be a fly on the wall and just absorb all this knowledge? And I recommend that for anyone, if you're like in a job or something or in a new group of people, like join any meeting that you can and just like sit there, absorb, be a sponge and just try to get as much information that you can. I think for me, that really helped first for my career, but then also having these conversations. I just, I learned that there's so much more that like, it's obviously good to say your viewpoint, but it's also good to like sit back and fully process what people are saying. And I think I learned that, um, I learned that a lot because when I would have, for example, discussions or debates, um, I would get really, really passionate. And when I had a certain viewpoint, someone else had something else and I just wanted to get it all across. I needed to say everything that I need to say. And when they would say a review back, I wasn't really listening because I was so passionate about my viewpoint. But now if I have a debate or, you know, some discussion that it's like a heated topic, I'm able to take that time to just pause, reflect, 
you know, and, and relax and be like, okay. <laughs> Completely. I think it's that philosophy where we should listen more and talk less. I think what's also interesting about what you shared, Savannah, and I love what you said about creating a seat at the table, being there to be a sponge. Mm-hmm. I try to embody that always. I think it's interesting too, to recognize when it is appropriate to speak and when it's appropriate to listen. Yes. Like think about a best friend going through a hard time. Maybe if they're, if they're sharing something about themselves or having a conversation with you, they might just want you to listen. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't want your opinion or they might want something else from you in that moment. I think it's important to assess the situation and maybe even take that next step to ask in that exchange, you know, what do you want from me right now? I'd love to share my opinion, but I don't need to. I can just sit here and listen. Um, Because oftentimes we jump to that conclusion that conversations always have to be a two-way street. So love what you shared about taking a a backseat, being a fly on the wall, because I think that's Mm -hmm. something we forget sometimes because conversations are often presented as two-way streets. Totally, yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about the other side of the spectrum where some people feel that they're kind of scared to speak out without judgment because there's this whole cancel culture movement and people are often scared to speak out and to be canceled. So yeah, what are your thoughts around that? Because I know you've had several digital panels with so so many experts. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts? I could go on and on and on about <laughs> cancel culture. I, yes. I guess we're going to unpack the suitcase. Um, <laughs> I here Here's my thinking. So when we think about cancel culture, it, it is problematic to me because cancel culture represents the opposite of dialogue. It, it represents a closing off of any conversation when someone does something wrong. And don't get me wrong, if someone does something horrible, we need to hold them accountable. I think it goes both ways. But the nature of cancel culture right now, especially utilized in group think through social media platforms, it becomes in upholding of some sort of moral hierarchy that a lot of us are still learning to understand. You know, I I think a lot of where these wrongdoings occur are from lack of education or misinformation. Mm -hmm. And any wrongdoing as a human being is an opportunity to learn and grow. And so it's interesting when we think about conversations, and I'm noticing this right now within our community and within Generation Z as a whole, that we so fervently attach ourselves to these social issues, but a lot of times we're afraid to share our opinions without fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. And so it's been incredibly gratifying to build a space for our generation to come together, to have these difficult conversations from all sides of the spectrum, whether it be the political spectrum or the ideological spectrum. And it, it in a way is reversing cancel culture. I I love to think of cancel culture more as a mechanism to call someone in. You know, how can we bring someone in who has done something wrong to help them learn and grow and understand rather than completely removing them from society? So we could go on and on. And I, of course, believe that there is a time and a place to hold someone accountable, whether it be going Mm -hmm. to jail or, you know, being removed from an official position. But if that's not necessarily warranted and someone said something out of turn, I think we need to address that and help that person learn and grow because how would we want to feel if that was us in that moment? And human beings are growing and evolving and learning. We're not perfect. And Mm -hmm. I think if we can recognize that we're not perfect, 
we'll stop assuming that we should all uphold that standard so we can continue to share and not feel like we're walking on eggshells. But we could do a whole TED talk <laughs> on the topic. Um, Savannah, I'd love to hear yes. your thoughts. Where do you fall in the cancel culture debate? I mean, no, I, yeah, I agree with you. And it's, it's important to, to hold people accountable. Yeah, it's, it's just such a tricky line with some things. I'm not usually one to cancel so quickly because most of the topics that I've seen, I'm just not educated enough or on that topic to be like, I fully cancel this person. They have done, you know, everything wrong because there's always, you know, two sides to the story. You don't know the whole story. But of course, if that's something, you know, obviously like criminal, I understand where someone needs to be held accountable, needs to go to jail. But in most part, there's a lot of misinformation on social media. Like as we're a generation, we absorb a lot of information super quickly and we, we see a lot. And sometimes like the truth gets hidden and you don't really know what to follow. So yeah, in, in terms of cancel culture, cancel culture, I do believe people can be held accountable and can come back from it if they do understand. But again, there's always, you don't really know someone's true intentions. Are they coming back to, you know, save their reputation? Are they coming back because they actually learned something from the situation? So yeah, it's definitely something tricky to to navigate there. Yeah. And yeah. I don't have all the answers. It's just yeah. something I'm reflecting a lot about. I think there's, mm -hmm. there's a time and a place and a reason and a season. And I think right now the aftermath of cancel culture is what I'm more concerned about. We have created this culture within our generation and other generations as well to not speak out and share mm -hmm. our true opinions because we're so worried that someone is going to shut us down, reject us, cancel us. Mm -hmm. And in order to make any steps forward as a society and actually address these issues, it has to start with a conversation. If we can't even get there, if we can't even get to that table where we're going to sit down and talk, I feel like cancel culture really presents itself as a band-aid solution. Yes, yes, totally. And you've talked about the community. Um, I'm on the Geneva app. And for people that don't, don't know, do you mind kind of explaining what it is, if they want to join, how it all works? Yes. And I was so happy when I saw you joined. So our community right now communicates 24-7 through the Geneva app. We love our friends at Geneva. They've mm -hmm. provided us a space to house our community where we can safely have conversations from people with people from all walks of life around the clock. So the way that the app works, I always describe it as the perfect hybrid between Slack, Clubhouse, mm -hmm. Facebook groups, GroupMe, all into one, where it's audio, video, and chat-based communication, where we have different rooms for different topics, and people can float in and float out of different dialogues surrounding current events and other difficult topics that are impacting our generation on a day-to-day -day basis. So we have our audio room where we have our members host conversations about topics that matter to them. We have our FaceTime room where our members just hop in like a common room at a clubhouse just to drop in, say hello. And then we have all of our chat and post rooms where we can post about a current event that's happening or something on anyone's mind that invites a conversation, whether it's something going on with the election or the political climate or something going on environmentally or in the pop culture world, it's a great place to kind of share ideas mm -hmm. and dive a little bit deeper. Um, I found that a lot of these conversations really only happened in my life at the family dinner table or mm -hmm. through a sports team or a smaller, more intimate community on a college campus. But now we've kind of opened it up to create this larger space for any young people to come together and talk about the things that really matter to them. So 
super grateful you're a part of it yes. um, and excited to see where we evolve from here. Yes, it's so cool. Anyone, you know, all Gen Zers, whatever, like a lot of my audience are like the similar age. I highly recommend checking out, checking it out. It's so cool. Um, definitely very like Slack vibe. So if you're familiar with that, easy transition. Um, I know I'm very like entrepreneurial minded. I know you are as well, obviously. And I'm curious. So conversationalist, I assume it's for profit. Um, what is your role now? Like in the terms of the business side, what's the breakdown? How big is the team? So yeah. yes, we are for profit. It, mm -hmm. And it's ironic because I come from a nonprofit background. My master's yes. is in nonprofit leadership. And right now I'm at this turning point where I really believe in the ability for businesses who can drive good. And mm -hmm. so we're really building ourselves as a social enterprise. Our team is very small. No one is full-time. We're still pre-revenue. And right now we're really trying to build and grow our community. And the way that we're hoping to monetize is through different offerings that we can give our Gen Z community and audience that can continue the conversation. Whether it's a brand that wants to better tailor their products to our generation, having a dialogue about how Gen Zers can inform that product landscape, mm -hmm. offering in-person events, whether it be summits, meetups, live events, summer camps, ways to evolve us back into the face-to-face -face space. We see a lot of potential to diversify our revenue streams in ways that can help us ladder up to this overall mission of unifying the world. So it's a little bit of the inner workings of the business side of TC. We're still so mm -hmm. early stage. And yes. right now we're focusing primarily on audience and community growth. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm curious to what you do exactly. And I think I heard another interview that you work really late hours, like past 11 or one. I'm like, what, how do you do that? And like, so how are you avoiding burnout? But like, I completely understand, like when it's something that you're so passionate about it, there's always work to do, but yeah. What do you do kind of day to day? It's nice to hear that you can relate to some extent. Yeah. Cause I, I've been <laughs> driving myself a little crazy. Um, mm -hmm. On a day to day basis, I would say typically my time is made up with calls going out, I call myself the lady who lunches, being able to just <laughs> learn more, be a sponge, connect yes. with people out there who can help empower our Gen Z community or help get us to the next level. I feel very fulfilled by that human connection and talking to amazing people like you. Um, and additionally, helping to guide our team. Right now we have a lot of different things happening behind the scenes on the content side and the community side of the business. So in between meetings, I'm giving feedback, helping move everything forward. We use the analogy of a train that we're all on a train together headed towards this beautiful destination of unifying the world. And so I feel like I'm the conductor of the train. And from time to time, someone will take over the driver's seat while I'm having a call or a meeting. Um, but it, it, it's definitely difficult. Um, something I've been reflecting on a lot lately is how lonely it can feel at the top. You know, mm -hmm. it's something I'm still figuring it out. I came home to Kansas, like I mentioned, to focus on self-care a little bit more, spend time with family. But I don't know, it's, it's this weird COVID world where I spend day in and day out talking to all of these new friends, these mm -hmm. new Gen Zers who I've never met in person. But then I reflect back and I realize that I'm not actually curating and talking to the people in my life who have been there from the beginning. So yeah. it's interesting. I'm not perfect, but mm -hmm. I'm trying to just get the Maslow's basic hierarchy of needs down every day, like water, mm -hmm. food, and starting to build up again. But I'm certainly not perfect. Um, how do you do it all? I mean, yeah, I, I do talk to a lot of, lot of interesting people. A lot of them are mostly, um, you know, more advanced in their careers. I still have some 
great conversations with people just like me earlier out in their careers, but I do spend a lot of time um, with, with family or my boyfriend or really close friends and having those meaningful conversations. I think I realized this past year with COVID, you know, a lot of, a lot of friends that I had, I felt like I couldn't have those meaningful conversations. They were kind of just surface level and I didn't, cut anyone out per se, but just kind of realizing, you know, who's your really important immediate circle? Is it really worth having like a group of 20 people, but are you, are you really close with them? So I kind of just focusing and closing in on that group and just being more open, I think, um, and opening up about struggles. Like for example, uh, late last year, I opened up about publicly about an eating disorder that I had. Um, and I had originally only opened up to a few people online, but I had a close friend of mine who was really struggling. And I was like, if you're struggling, I'm sure there's so many people out there as well. I might as well open up and share with other people. And that was so great. And now I'm able to start that dialogue with other females in particular. So yeah, I think I've just been focusing on, on keeping my circle closer and talking about things that, you know, that mattered to me, but also to my close friends and family as well. Amazing. Also, thank you for opening up just now. I, of course, of I course. admire that a lot. You know, those yes. are the hard things to talk about, and the underlying thing of it all that you just mentioned that I wish I had known earlier is that we aren't mm-hmm. alone. You know, there are other people out there going through it just the same. And mm-hmm. when we can be more vulnerable with ourselves and others around us, mm-hmm. it can really help us feel less alone. So, thank you for sharing that with me. Of course, yeah. And how do you find your time to to recharge? Because obviously, you're talking to a lot of people, and I know even when I talk to a lot of people, I need some time alone just to like recharge and to, to refocus. So where do you kind of find your, your self-worth as well? Again, it's really hard Mm -hmm. this year, starting out in January, I decided to pencil in three to four 30 every single day on my calendar for self-care, whether it's going on a walk, exercising, catching up with a friend every single day, I'm offline from three to four 30. And I don't always do it perfectly, but at least the fact that I put it on the calendar validated it in a way for me. So trying to set that boundary for myself. And lately I've started loving Survivor. I don't know if you've watched it, but I used to, yeah. (laughs) I just got into it about a month ago. And so now at the end of the day, now that I'm back at home, I try to at Mm -hmm. least watch an episode with my brother, which has been really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's something to look forward to. It's a way to kind of a little bit and put my phone down but it's it's give and take you know some days better than others but mm-hmm. in fact before I mean if we had had this conversation a year ago I don't think I'd have any sort of an answer for you so mm-hmm. I'm trying to piece it together day by day but if you have any tips I'm, <laughs> I'm all ears yeah we're we're all human and I mean like it must be quite difficult that you so you left Kansas and then you went you know to find this new identity, I guess, in University of Pennsylvania, and now you come back to, to Kansas. Like, I'm curious, is it still easy to have those conversations? Because I know when you said originally when you left, you weren't able to kind of have those conversations. What about now? In a weird way, I feel like coming back home now is such a full circle moment for me and that I don't think I've ever fully faced the feelings I felt growing up here as an adult. And so at the beginning of quarantine, when I was back here with my entire family, I think it caused me to face a lot of these issues head on. I think going away and finding this new part of myself 
was also a band-aid. I didn't necessarily fully fix the things that I experienced growing up. So coming back here, I think really kick-started the conversations I needed to have with myself. And so being here now, I feel like a different person, but in a lot of ways I'm falling back into old routines and running into people I know from my past at the grocery store. So I'm still figuring it all out, but I think it's really therapeutic to be back here where it all started. And in a way, I feel like I'm reclaiming the narrative. So it's been it's been eye-opening, but also humbling at the same time. That's awesome, Sophie. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time, but if you could let everyone know where they could find the conversationalist, where can they find the digital panels, the app, just kind of plug to give me the whole spiel right now. <laughs> Thanks, Savannah. Yeah. So if anyone wants to get involved, first of all, DM me. I'd love to get to know you better. I'm not trying to sell anything. Um, but if you want to reach out, I'm at Sophie Barron on Instagram. And we're also on Instagram at The Conversationalist. If you tap the link in bio on either of our profiles, you'll be taken right to Geneva. Join the conversation, join the community. We are there to welcome you with open arms. Um, and if you can't find the link, just send me a message and I'll send it your way. Um, we're on all of the other platforms, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, all the good stuff at The Conversationalist. Um, and of course, check out our website, theconversationalist.com. And that was Sophie Barron. Make sure to check her out on all platforms at Sophie Barron, as well as The Conversationalist. Also, Sophie is often on Clubhouse. So if you have the app, definitely check out one of her talks. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week.